Lord God, would you open up this old, this ancient text that seems to be, have to do with Israel, but would you open it up so that we can see how it applies under the gospel, under the church age today? May you show us the depth of our sin and the, the depth of the redemption that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to thrill at what Christ has accomplished that we might be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. It will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now, the Old Testament, I look at it this way. The Old Testament is like the picture book of New Testament truth. In the Old Testament, we find pictures of all the great truths of redemption related to Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul even tells us that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, think about a shadow. You're walking down the road. You see this shadow. If you wave your hands, the shadow waves its hands, right? If you take a, a foot up, the shadow takes its foot up. So the shadow is a rough likeness of the real thing. The shadow is a rough likeness of the substance. Here in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul says that Christ is the substance and food, drink, festival, new moon, and Sabbath day are shadows of Christ who was to come. Christ is the real thing. They are rough likenesses of Him. And the Old Testament is filled with these shadows, these rough likenesses of Christ and the beautiful truths of His redemption. And I think we have a rough likeness of Christ here in Leviticus chapter 14. That's why we're going to be looking at that today. You might say that in the Old Testament, God's people were in the kindergarten of divine revelation. Kindergartners learn best when you take a picture book out and you show them the giraffe and the ant, the whale and the elephant and the monkey. They don't do very well when you sit them in front of a university professor and he's lecturing on microbiology, right? 
And in the Old Testament, we have pictures, a picture book of gospel truths. Sometimes we call those types. I'll just refer to them as pictures today. I believe that leprosy is a vivid picture of sin. It's interesting to me that in the Bible, leprosy is said to be cleansed, not healed. Now, why would that be? I mean, it, it was a physical malady, right? It did need to be healed, but they talk about it being cleansed. And I think it's because when, when God gave leprosy, he intended for it to be a picture of another thing that needs to, needs to be cleansed, which is our sin. Our sin needs to be cleansed. And leprosy pictures for us what sin does to a person's life. So today we're going to look at the cure for leprosy of the soul. And the first thing I want to go over with you is the condition of the leper. Because in the condition of the leper, we see the condition of the sinner. And there's four things I want you to see about the leper as we work through this. And we're going to go back to Leviticus 13 to get the first one. The first thing I want you to see is that the leper was unclean. So go back to chapter 13 verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling of a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and if the hair in the infection has turned white, and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Okay, so there is the first thing I want you to see. If you are pronounced to be a leper by the priest, he's going to say, you are now unclean. You are no longer able to dwell with those who are clean. You need to be separated outside the camp. It was an uncleanness that needed to be cleansed. And just as leprosy renders a person unclean in God's sight, so sin renders us unclean in His sight. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 says, Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So the person who is still in sin, God looks at him and sees filthiness because that person is an idol worshiper. He's an idolater. He doesn't worship the true and living God. He's made money or sex or fame or drugs or something else. His God. He's an idolater. And God sees that as filthiness. But he said, I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I see you in your leprosy, your uncleanness, and I'm going to take that away. We know what he says in 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So sin is that which defiles us. It makes us filthy, dirty, and polluted in the sight of God. The second thing about leprosy was that it made a person ugly. Their physical appearance was quite ugly. What exactly did a leper look like? Well, this is the difficult thing because there was a wide spectrum of, of uh, conditions of leprosy. Sometimes, uh, the one we read in Leviticus 14 simply said that he got these spots on him. They turned white. His hair turned white. There was an indention underneath the skin. And so that person was pronounced to be a leper. So that was quite a, uh, a, not a very serious case. In fact, it doesn't even seem to be contagious. 
when you read through the different instances of leprosy in the Bible. But there are other cases where leprosy is quite serious. So there's a, there's a spectrum of not so serious to very serious. In um, Numbers chapter 12, Miriam spoke out against Moses and God brought a judgment upon her. He made her leprous. And this is what her brother Aaron says. He says to God, Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away. Now, that's what Aaron said about leprosy. Someone who has a severe case of leprosy could be like somebody who's dead whose flesh was half eaten away. I went on Google Images today and looked up leprosy to see what it actually looks like, and it's, terif it's terrible. It's, it's, hor it's horrifying to look at people. They're, well, I'll get into it in a minute, but <laughs> their fingers are gone. Sometimes all they have is a stump. Uh, they have no nose left. They have these nodules all over their face. It's, it's ghastly to look at. And that's, that's the modern, we call that Hansen's disease. That's the most serious and progressed uh, kind of leprosy that we know of. It's a gruesome sight. And sin makes us look gruesome in the sight of God. It makes us look ugly to God. It makes us look repulsive to God because God hates sin. God can't look on sin with favor. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And a person could be absolutely beautiful or handsome on the outside and have a very ugly heart and God sees the heart. Remember when um, the Lord says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think we make a grave mistake when all we're really concerned about is the outward appearance. I mean, we've got over 300 beauty salons in Sacramento. <laughs> I don't know how many fitness clubs and gyms and uh, I mean, how many, how many millions, probably billions of dollars people spend on cosmetics and things to try to make their appearance better and more attractive on the outside. But how much money and how much time do people spend on trying to get their hearts beautiful on the inside? And that's where the Lord is looking. I'll, I'll read here. Uh, um, this is from William Barclay, who is a commentator on the New Testament. And he's commenting here about the appearance of someone who had leprosy. This is what he said. The whole appearance of the face is changed till the man loses his human appearance and looks, as the ancients said, like a lion. The nodules grow larger and larger. They ulcerate. From them there comes a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The voice becomes hoarse. And the breath wheezes because of the ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and the feet always ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerating growths. The average course of the disease is nine years. And it ends in mental decay coma, and ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive, both to himself and to others. Can you imagine a more horrible disease to get and to die from? There's another man by the name of William Thompson who wrote a book. It's called The Land and the Book. He wrote this in 1868, and he had gone to Jerusalem, and he actually seen lepers, and he tells us about what he saw there. He says, as I was approaching Jerusalem, I was startled by the sudden apparition of a crowd of beggars. Uh, 
without eyes, without nose, without hair, without everything. They held up their handless arms, unearthly sounds gurgled through throats without pallets. In a word, I was horrified. So that sounds like Hansen's disease, the, the most terrible form of leprosy, I think, that, that you can get. Um, but sin is like leprosy. I think leprosy is a picture of sin. Sin makes us ugly, repulsive in the sight of God, and we need to flee sin. We need to find cleansing for sin. The third thing about leprosy was that it made a person alienated. It made him unclean, ugly, and alienated. What I mean by that is once you got leprosy, you could no longer be with people who didn't have it. You were separated from them. In chapter 13, verse 46 of Leviticus, it says, He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, he could live with other lepers. We know that because in Luke chapter 17, there was 10 lepers that were traveling together in a band. But those people couldn't go and hang around people that didn't have leprosy. It was forbidden. They had, he had to warn them. Unclean, unclean, whenever they got within earshot. So can you imagine having this disease? Your family doesn't have it. You have it. You have to live. You have to move away from your family. You can no longer hug and kiss your wife. You can no longer gather your children into your arms. You can't play with them anymore. You can't go to the tabernacle or the temple to worship. You're excluded from all the other people of Israel. And the only people you can hang around with are lepers until you get a cure or you die. I mean, it's unbearable when you think of the misery that this person would have to go through. And it also makes me marvel at Jesus because when everybody else started to get as far away from the leper, he reached out and touched a leper. And instead of being defiled, Jesus healed the man or cleansed the man, I should say. He, he was moved with compassion towards that person. So this teaches us the sober truth that sin alienates us. It alienates us from man. It also alienates us from God, most importantly. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin is what separates us from God. It's like it cuts the, the telephone cord line so that you're on the phone with God and, oh, there's no more contact. He doesn't hear you anymore because your sins have cut it off. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, These people, people who will not obey the gospel, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now, some people probably like that verse because they don't want the presence of the Lord in their life anyway. But actually, the Bible doesn't teach that the lost person will have no presence of the Lord. The Bible teaches he will never have the gracious presence of the Lord again. But he will have the wrathful presence of the Lord throughout eternity. Revelation 14 verses 9 through 11 says that this person will suffer in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So Christ is there, the angels are there, but not to give any relief from punishment, 
but to make sure that the punishment is administered. So, wow, it's, it, it alienates. It alienates from God's gracious presence. And so, my friends, if you end up dying in your sins, you will be forever separated from anything good that could ever come from God. So don't die in your sins. Flee to Christ. And the fourth thing you need to learn about leprosy was that it was incurable. There was no human cure for it. Now sometimes people were healed or cleansed, but that was a God thing. It was God doing that. You, there was no potion or medicine you could take in order to get better. There was no, in fact, today there's no known cure for leprosy. It's one of those things, there's just no cure. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have a story about the king of Aram who sent Naaman to the king of Israel so that the king of Israel would cure him of leprosy. And the king of Israel responded and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? In other words, to cure leprosy was just as difficult as raising someone from the dead. Neither one were possible. Neither one could be done through human means. So the leper is going to either experience a divine miracle or a slow descent into the grave because there was no human cure. And there is no human remedy for sin. There is nothing that you can do, no work that you can accomplish that will cleanse yourself from, from sin and make you acceptable in the sight of God. In that regard, we're absolutely helpless. Sin has made me unclean, ugly, alienated, and the worst part is that I can't do anything in and of myself to remove it. Now, that doesn't mean there's no cure. There is a cure, but it's not a human cure. It's a divine cure. But when we see our condition for what it is, we are the closest to our deliverance. When you don't see your condition the way it is, you're the furthest away. You'll, you'll never find the deliverance that God has. Because it's only when we see our condition the way it is, we see ourselves as spiritual lepers that we begin to cry out to God because we know there's no other place I can go to find deliverance and cleansing from this sin. God alone has the answer. But most people go blindly on thinking there must be something they can do. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll join a church. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get baptized. I'll start taking the Lord's Supper. I'll start giving money to charity. I'll start helping the, my neighbors and the people across the street. And they think by these works, somehow that's going to ingratiate them into the favor of God and they're going to be saved. Well, it won't happen because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. I'll stop smoking. I'll start, stop taking drugs. I'll start drinking. You know, all the stops and all the starts. None of it, none of it will do. I love... Um, the hymn Rock of Ages. I love the lyrics to that hymn. Augustus Toplady wrote this in the 1700s. Listen to these lyrics. He says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. 
he, he understood that there was no human cure for the leprosy of the soul. So we've seen the leper's condition, and it applies to every sinner. But let's look at the leper's cure. And this is really fascinating to me. Go back to Leviticus 14. We have here a ceremony whereby a leper was pronounced clean. And he was admitted back into the camp of Israel. And the ceremony that the priest performed is a picture of what God performs to cure spiritual lepers today. Now you've got two birds in this ceremony. A bird that was slain and then a bird that was set free. And you also have here, oh the blood, you've got three things I want to share with you. The bird that was slain, the blood that was sprinkled, and then the bird that was set free. Okay, so first of all let's talk about the bird that was slain. It's chapter 14, 1 to 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds, and cedar wood, and a scarlet string, and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. Now the first thing we learn about these two birds is that they had to be live clean birds. Clean birds. The leper was unclean, but the birds had to be clean. We are unclean, but Christ is clean. <laughs> Christ is altogether lovely and perfect, spotless in the sight of God. Hebrews 7.26 says, For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So, the two birds represent Jesus Christ in different facets of his redemptive work. The slain bird represents Christ crucified. The live bird represents Christ risen. The bird had to be killed. He had to be slain. An innocent life had to be taken and blood had to be shed in order for this leper to be, to be pronounced clean. And of course, we've been going through the Old Testament. And as you go through Leviticus and Numbers, there's sacrifices all over the place, right? And so we've learned that an innocent animal had to be slaughtered and its blood had to be shed in order for the guilty person that that animal represented to be accepted before God. Ezekiel 18.4 says that the soul who sins shall surely die. Okay, we've sinned. We shall surely die. Unless God is willing to accept the death of a substitute. And he graciously has agreed to do that. And the substitute just happens to be his own perfect and holy son. His eternal son. The unique and only son of God. Jesus Christ came to be that final and ultimate sacrifice, taking the death that we had deserved because of our sin, being willing to offer that death to God as payment or ransom for our sin to release us from the penalty that we had incurred. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the just or the holy, the holy one, for the unjust in order to bring us to God. Now notice, this bird was to be slain in an earthenware vessel over running water. So running water would mean that it's not stagnant, it's not going to be defiled and 
brown and dirty. It's going to be clean running water. They would take this clean, clear water, put it in an earthenware vessel, kill the bird, and allow the blood from the bird to, to dip or to, to soak into that water. So the, it's going to become a mixture of blood and water in this earthenware vessel. And they're going to do that because then they're going to take the hyssop and dunk it in this bloody watery solution and sprinkle it on the leper. But this idea of the earthenware vessel with blood and water mingling together just reminds me of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? And the spear going in his side and the blood and the water coming out. It, it's, it's, to me, it's another picture of the cross of Christ. Notice not only the, the, the bird that was slain, but the blood that was sprinkled in verse 6 and 7. He says, as for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce, pronounce him clean and then shall let the live bird go free over the open field. So we've got cedar wood, a scarlet string, and hyssop. Now what in the world are these three things for? <laughs> I, I believe it's to make a handle because the cedar wood is going to be the handle. You need the, screen, the string, the scarlet, it's red, to, to tie the hyssop to the handle so you can dunk that in the bloody water solution and sprinkle it seven times. So it's like making a, I don't know, what do you use to sprinkle things? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, a sprinkler. We'll call it a sprinkler. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he makes this handle and perhaps it doesn't say, but I'm, I'm just trying to imagine this. Perhaps the bird was tied also to this, this string because it says the, the bird had to be dipped in the blood too. And then the bird was set free and he flew away. So we have this handle and then the leper was sprinkled seven times. Now why seven? You Bible scholars, think of the book of Revelation and all the sevens you find in Revelation. It's a symbolic number. It usually connotes this idea of completion or fullness or perfection, right? And so here we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ being pictured as seven sprinklings or the perfect adequacy of the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin. Seven times. Now, the bird could be killed its blood could be shed and the living bird let loose, but the priest could not pronounce that leper clean until the blood was actually applied to him. Okay, I want you to understand that. You could do the whole ritual. You could kill the bird, put the bird's blood in that earthenware vessel and let the live bird go free. But none of that could actually pronounce him clean. You, you see in the text here, it was only after the blood was sprinkled on him that he was actually pronounced clean. Let me find it. Verse 7, He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean after he had been sprinkled seven times. In other words, the blood had to make contact with the leper before cleansing was actually pronounced. So, here's the upshot of all that. Christ can be sacrificed. Christ can be risen. You can even know that. But unless you by faith apply the work of Jesus Christ for you on the cross and in his bodily resurrection from the dead to your soul by taking the hyssop and sprinkling yourself by faith, 
you have no salvation. People are in churches all over the world. They hear the gospel. They hear the truth of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And they may intellectually assent to those facts and they're not saved because they've never applied that truth to themselves personally. They haven't appropriated what Christ did to them and believed on Christ for themselves. There's a difference between hearing the truth and actually believing it and receiving it for your own soul. He didn't take the blood and just sprinkle it into the air. He sprinkled it on the leper. The blood has to hit us. It has to contact me. I have to believe upon the blood for my own self in order for it to, to have its effect in my life. In fact, over in 1 Peter 1-2, it says that Christians are described as those who obey Jesus Christ and are sprinkled with His blood. Going back to this ancient ritual. We're lepers that have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ seven times and we've been set free. Now there's a third thing here. The bird that was set free. We've got two birds. One is killed, one set free. The first one pictures the death of Jesus, I believe. The second one represents the resurrection of Christ. The live bird was not set free until the first bird had died. And I saw that in here. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain. So the bird's already been slain. He dips the live bird in that blood of the slain bird, sets him free. So of course Christ isn't raised, of course, until he dies. But the, the, the type, the picture is beautiful. And as um, when someone sees this bird flying with the blood splattering off of its wings, Let's say off in the distance you see this bird rising up with bloody wings and the blood's going everywhere as it's flying up to heaven. You know that some leper has just been pronounced clean. <laughs> you know that the work has been finished for the leper's cleansing because the blood displays that fact. And so too because Jesus has risen from the dead we know the work that he came to accomplish has been finished for our salvation. As the bird flew heavenward, it bore the marks of an accomplished redemption. So too, when Jesus entered into the more perfect tabernacle in heaven, he entered by his own blood. He had the marks in his hands and in his side after he rose from the dead. He, he showed them to Thomas. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So Christ is the bird that was set free, the one who accomplished redemption, and he has the keys of death and Hades today. Now the third area we want to go over is the command that was made to the leper before he entered back into the camp. And that comes out in verses 8 and 9. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. 
Now afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. So he could go into the camp after he had done this washing and shaving and all of that. He could go into the camp, but he couldn't go back into his tent yet. He had to wait seven days for that. And then verse 9 says, it will be on the seventh day that he... I understand this to mean, again, he shaves off all his hair. So in seven days it's grown back, or some of it has. So he shaves it again. He shaves his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water, and be clean. So, he's pronounced clean by the priest, and so he shaves off all his hair. He washes his clothes, he washes his body, he can now go back into the camp. But he can't go into his tent yet. He waits seven days and he does it all over again. He, he shaves off all his hair, he washes his clothes, washes his body, and now he's fully admitted back into his tent in full standing amongst all the other people of Israel. And uh, he can worship the Lord, he can be with his family. Praise God, everything has been restored. But what does all this have to do for us? So this is, this is the way I'm, I'm understanding this. Just as the live bird and the slain bird were pictures of Christ and what he did to accomplish our cleansing of sin. This washing of water and shaving um, to be admitted into the camp has to do with the things that we do once we've been cleansed in order to be in full fellowship with God and to walk with the people of God. So we're... <laughs> Just to make, be, be really quick and blunt about it, we're talking about sanctification here. Washing, uh, washing the body, washing the clothes, shaving the hair. And notice it didn't just happen once, it happened seven days later. So it's a repeated thing that this person had to do. Um, so yeah, we're talking about our part, our role, our cooperation with God in the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is the first time the leper has been told to do anything. God has done everything. The priest has done everything up until now. Now he's told he needs to start to do some, a few things. Shave off all your hair. Wash all your clothes. Wash your body. And do it all over again. Seven days later. And you can kind of look at the seven day period as um, our preparation for our eternal inheritance with God. Being in the tent. Be, being with God forever. There's a seven day, a, a, a fullness of time here that we are in this process of cleansing ourselves. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And you say, wait a minute. I thought this leper had already been cleansed. Why is he cleansing himself? And haven't we been cleansed from our sin? Yes. Well, does that mean there's nothing for us to do in this process of living out the Christian life? No, it doesn't mean that. We, we have a process. We have a role in all of this. According to Paul, we cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. So yes, God justifies us by grace through the blood of the cross, and then His Spirit begins to enable and help us to actually cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. When you Go back to John 13 in your mind. And, and there's Peter washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, Lord, you're never going to do that to me. And the Lord, what does the Lord say to him? If I don't do this, 
You have no part with me. And then Peter says, okay, then wash me all over. My head, my hands, everything. And it's a picture there of Jesus. The Christian is completely washed when he comes to Christ and is saved. Completely washed of all his sin. But his feet come into contact with this world. They get dirty. They get dusty. We, get, we contract defilement of flesh and spirit as we go through this life. Things we see, things we hear, interactions with people, we sin. We, we are defiled. And we need to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit. We're like that leper who's shaving off all of his hair. Getting rid of all that old stuff so that he's going back to what... He's going back to like ground zeros. <laughs> the starting place and starting all over again. All his hair's gone. All his clothes have been washed. His body's been bathed. He's ready to start over again. And so, if you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, there is still a role for you. God wants you to participate with the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. And it's more of just assenting to what God wants to do. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so it's walking by the Spirit. It's saying yes to the Spirit when the Spirit's wanting to do something in your life. When He shows you an area of sin in your life, it's saying, okay, I agree with you, God. This is sin. Please work in me. Root that out of me. And so you're, it's, a, it's a submission of your will to the Holy Spirit, walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. And He does the work, but you give his, your assent. You say, yes, I want that out of my life. Please do that work. In fact, over in Philippians, we've already seen it, but he tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the leper's starting over, just as the person who comes to Christ starts totally over, a brand new person, a new creation in Christ. The leper had to take every possible precaution not to bring his uncleanness back into the camp. That's why he's bathing and washing and... Uh, cutting off all his hair multiple times. And this teaches us that the defiling effects of sin remain even after our conversion. We still are defiled. We still need to cleanse ourselves. There's still a work for us to be involved with. The rest of our life is like this seven-day period of time. So let, let's bring the truths of Leviticus 14 back home and let me just talk to anybody here who may not be a Christian, if that's the case with anybody. God sees you, if you're not a Christian, as a spiritual leper. You have, your sin has defiled you. It's made you unclean. It's made you ugly. It's alienated you. And there's no human cure for that. So you don't look to yourself to find the cure. You look away from yourself and you look to Jesus Christ who is the answer. He's the serpent lifted up on the pole in the wilderness. Everyone who looked to him were healed of the snake bite. Look to Jesus. He's, we already talked about 2 Corinthians 3.18. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord we're being transformed into the same image. We're looking to Christ both in our conversion and in our sanctification. Looking to Christ is the focus of the, of the Christian. But let's say, okay, yes, I was a spiritual leper, but I've been cleansed. 
I'm a Christian. I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has canceled the penalty of my sin. I've been given the power of a new life. Take a look at that, that, that bird that was set free for a minute. Because I think that we can see in those two birds not only pictures of Jesus, but if you are in Christ, you can see yourself there too. If you've been united to Christ by faith, think about the first bird. He was slain. What does the Bible teach about us? We have been crucified with Christ. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. We can identify with that dead bird because our old life is dead. Our old life has been crucified with Jesus Christ. And not only that, we can identify with the living bird. That living bird was set free and he soared off into the heavens, free from its constraint. And the Christian has been set free from not only the penalty of sin, but even the power of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within him. Now we don't always experience that, but that is a biblical truth that we don't have to live the rest of our lives in the same sins that we're engaged in today. We don't have to. There is transformative power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can experience change. You have to believe that truth. You have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to experience it. But the Bible clearly teaches, it says in Romans 6, that we first need to know it, knowing this, that our old self was crucified, then we must consider it, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus, and then you need to present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. So take the three verbs, know, consider, and present. There, there's the closest thing to a formula that I know of for sanctification. Know it, consider it, and present yourself to God. There is an act of the will that must take place. You take your eyes or your mouth or your feet or whatever is involved in sin and daily present that member of your body to God for His glory. So this resurrection day, I want all of us just to worship Jesus Christ who is alive. He is the one that has cleansed you of sin and He's the one that is continuing to transform you from one image of glory to the next. He deserves your worship. He deserves all. So Lord, we do just describe to you the glory today. We, we would be nothing. We would be hopelessly lost without your grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that though we were ugly, ugly as a leper, in the full-blown stages of Hansen's disease, with nodules and ulcerating sores and no cure possible, separated from all that was good, Lord, you have done this restorative work to bring us back to yourself and made us one with Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to really believe the truth that we can experience the transformative change in our life. That we can conquer that sin of pride that raises this ugly head in our life. and We can overcome substance abuse. Lord, we can stop drinking. We can stop profanity. We can stop looking at things that don't honor you. We can walk in holiness before you. So Lord, would you increase the faith of your children to believe the words that you have penned in this book that as we know and consider and present, you're going to do that work in our lives and make us like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.